I'm going to be talking about this article called Eight Reasons Why We Need Human Touch More Than Ever. Even in a digital age, we crave real human contact. Here's why. Physical contact distinguishes humans from other animals. From a warm handshake or sympathetic hug to a congratulatory pat on the back, we have developed complex languages, cultures, and emotional expression through physical contact. But in a tech-saturated world, non-sexual human touch is in danger of becoming rare, if not absolute. Despite the benefits of digital advancement, it is vital to preserve human touch in order for us truly to thrive. Humans become nearly unrecognizable in the absence of touch. 200 years ago, French scientists spotted a creature resembling a human running through the forest. Once captured, they determined he was 11 years old, had run wild in the forest for much of his childhood. Originally, the child, quote-unquote Victor, was determined to be an idiot. French physicians and psychiatrists eventually, eventually concluded he had been deprived of human physical touch, which had made it hard for his social and developmental capacities to reach their full potential. Scientific research now correlates physical touch with the following important areas. One, decreased violence. Less touch as a child leads to greater violence. American developmental psychologist James W. Prescott proposed that the origins of violence in society were related to the lack of mother-child bonding. Child developmental research illustrates that the absence of physical bonding and healthy attachment between an adult and child may result in lifelong emotional disturbances. Two, greater trust between individuals. Touch helps to bond people together. Daniel Keltner, the founding director of the Greater Good Science Center and professor of psychology at University of California, Berkeley, cites the work of neuroscientist Edmund Ross, who found that physical touch activates the brain's obitofrontal cortex linked to feelings of reward and compassion. According to Keltner, studies show that a simple touch can trigger release of oxytocin, also known as the love hormone, in quotations. Our skin contains receptors that directly elicit emotional responses through stimulation of erogenous zones or nerve endings that respond to pain. According to researchers Avre, Mayan, and Spence. Three, economic gain. Keltner links economic benefits to physical touch, probably because, quote unquote, touch signals safety and trust it soothes. Basic warm touch calms cardiovascular stress. It activates the body's vagus nerve, which is intimately involved with our compassionate response, and in quotations. NBA teams whose players touch each other more, for example, win more games. Four, decreased disease and stronger immune system. 
Physical touch may also decrease disease. According to research conducted at the University of North Carolina, women who receive more hugs from their partners have lower heart rates and blood pressure. Hugs strengthen the immune system. The gentle pressure on the sternum and the emotional charge this creates activates the solar plexus chakra. This stimulates the thymus gland, which regulates and balances the body's production of white blood cells, which keeps you healthy and disease-free, in quotations. Research at University of California School of Public Health found that getting eye contact and a pat on the back from the doctor may boost the survival rate of patients with complex diseases. Five, stronger team dynamics. Paul Zak, author of The Moral Molecule, argues, quote unquote, we touch to initiate and sustain cooperation. He conducted a, quote unquote, neuroeconomic study from which he argues that hugs or handshakes are likely to cause the release of the neurochemical oxytoxin, which increases the chances that a person will treat you like family, even if you just met. Six, more non-sexual emotional intimacy. Interpersonal touch has a powerful impact on our emotions. Study have, studies have shown that a gentle brush of a woman's arm can boost a man's chances in love. Another study showed that two-thirds of women agreed to dance with a man who touched her on the arm a second or two before making the request. Before, before I go any further, that does not... Um, suggest the exclusion of the LGBT plus community and also does not suggest the exclusion of gender and sexual diversity. The reason why I'm saying that is because the way that the language was used it can suggest that, but I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting any of the exclusions of all of the above, okay? Seven, greater learning engagement. When teachers touch students platonically, it encourages their learning. French psychologist Nicholas Gulgin reports, Link is eternal, that when teachers pat students in a friendly way, those students are three times as likely to speak up in class. Another recent study has found that when librarians pat the hand of a student checking out a book, that student says they like the library more and is more likely to return. Eight, overall well-being. Adults require human touch to thrive, Keltner says. In recent years, a wave of studies has documented some incredible emotional and physical health benefits that come from touch. This research is suggesting that touch is truly fundamental to human communication, bonding, and health. As Sharon K. Farber says, being touched and touching someone else are fundamental modes of human interaction, and increasingly many people are seeking out their own professional touches and body arts teachers chiropractors, physical therapists, gestalt therapists, rolfers, the Alexander Technique and Feldenkrais people, massage therapists, martial arts, and Tai Chi instructors, and some even wait in physicians in offices for, and some even wait in physicians in office 
for a physical examination for ailments with no organic cause, they wait to be touched. In conclusion, physical touch is the fun is the foundational element of human development and culture. The growing preoccupation with digital media versus personal and physical contact, combined with the social and legal restrictions over physical contact in our schools and workplaces, may unintentionally affect this, these factors negatively. Excuse me. To foster a safe social environment and a climate of mediated communication, we should intentionally hold on to physical touch. Um, I appreciate all of the eight human touch necessities. Um, I just learned something new. I educate myself as I do episodes. And it's okay to admit that it's good to educate yourself um, in such ways. Because we're not saying that Boundaries are not important. Let me go, let me quickly go over uh, human touch boundaries. It's okay to refuse a hug. It's okay to refuse a handshake. It's okay to refuse a high five. It's okay to refuse a thumbs up. It's okay to refuse any nonverbal gesture that is violating your human touch boundaries. Anything, any gesture that violates your human physical boundaries, do not reciprocate ever, okay? So it's okay to tell people, how would you like to be touched? How would you like to be greeted? Touch slow, touch hard, touch medium, touch fast, touch slow, touch in between fast and slow. It's okay to specify the kind of touching and ways of touching that you tolerate and don't tolerate, okay? Um, it's okay to not be touched. It's okay not to like being touched. Um, we're not shaming anybody. Um, if anyone touches you inappropriately and they have no care about how you feel, it's okay to report them to 911. It's okay to get the legal system involved, and it's okay to have them prosecuted. It's okay to press civil charges against them. It's okay to make sure that criminal charges are filed against them. It's okay to have restraining orders. It's okay to not be bothered with touch of any kind at all. That's okay. Healthline.com. What does it mean to be touched, Star? What is it? Humans are wired to be touched. From birth until the day we die, our need for physical contact remains. Being touched, Star, also known as skin hunger, or touch deprivation occurs when a person experiences little to no touch from other living things. Wait, that's a real thing? Indeed, the condition seems to be more common in countries that are becoming increasingly touch averse. For example, a 2015 study measured to what degree people welcome touch in five countries. Finland and France were found to be at the top while the United Kingdom was at the bottom. 
While cultures vary in the acceptance of touch, no one is sure. It may be due to the rise in technology use, a fear of touching being viewed as inappropriate or cultural factors. But research from 2014 has found that missing out on regular human touch can have some serious and long-lasting effects. Does it only apply to sensual touch? Definitely not. Any and all positive touch is considered beneficial. During the COVID-19 pandemic, many people are losing out on workplace handshakes, friendly hugs, or pats on the back, which can result in feelings of touch starvation. For some, the pandemic has also brought a decline in sensual touching, such as holding hands, back scratching, and foot rubbing too. By the way, I love back scratching. I love foot rubbing. I love holding hands. I love friendly hugs. I love pats on the back. I love handshakes. I even like workplace handshakes. I love back rubbing too. I just love rubbing in general. Okay, scientists have found that a system of nerve fibers called C-tactile afferents exists to recognize any form of gentle touch. In fact, according to a 2017 study, the ideal touching speed is about 3 centimeters per second. This releases oxytocin, also known as the quote-unquote love hormone. Why is touch important? Skin-to-skin -skin contact. I love skin-to-skin -skin contact. Okay, skin-to-skin -skin contact is vital not only for mental and emotional health, but physical health too. When you feel snowed under or pressured, the body releases the stress hormone cortisol. One of the biggest things touch can do is reduce such stress, allowing the immune system to work the way it should. Touch can also calm certain bodily functions, such as your heart rate and blood pressure. It does so by stimulating pressure receptors that transport signals to the vagus nerve. This nerve connects the body to this nerve connects the brain to the rest of the body. It uses the signals to slow the pace of the nervous system. In early life, touch is thought to be crucial for building healthy relationships by stimulating pathways for oxytocin, the natural antidepressant serotonin, and the pleasure neurotransmitter dopamine. Plus it can tackle loneliness. According to a 2017 study, Gentle touch can reduce both pain and feelings of social exclusion. How do you know if you're touch starved? There's no definite way to know, but in a nutshell, you may feel overwhelmingly lonely or deprived of affection. These symptoms may be combined with feelings of depression, anxiety, stress, low relationship satisfaction, difficulty sleeping, a tendency to avoid secure attachments. You may also subconsciously do things to stimulate touch, such as taking long hot baths or showers, wrapping up in blankets, it's and even holding on to a pet. Personally, I love taking long hot baths. I love taking long hot showers. Sometimes I take cold showers. Sometimes I take cold baths. I love wrapping up in blankets and I even love holding on to pets. I do. What What if you don't particularly like being touched? Can you still be touched on? Some people closely link touch with trust. If they don't trust the person, they're unlikely to want that person to touch them. But that doesn't mean they don't long for the benefits of a hug or handshake. For example, not liking touch is sometimes reported by people on the neurodiverse spectrum and people who are asexual. It may also be a result of childhood experiences. A 2012 study suggested that people whose parents were regular huggers were more likely to hug people in adulthood. Failing to experience frequent positive touch as a child may affect the development of the oxytocin system and a child's intimacy and social skills, although this isn't true for everyone. 
What can you, what can you do to help satiate this desire? Touch starvation doesn't have to last forever. Here are some simple ways to welcome more affection into your life right now. Keep in mind you may need to dial these activities back a bit during the COVID-19 pandemic or avoid them until your local health officials get the okay. Try out a massage. By the way, I love massages. Whether you ask a loved one or visit a professional, massages can help you relax and enjoy the benefits of another person's touch. I love foot massages too. I love the kind of massages you get at the nail spas and the spas. I love spas. I love professionals stimulating my need for touch. Spend some quality time with animals, often all too happy to cuddle. Pets are the ideal soothing mechanism. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, the risk of animals transmitting the coronavirus to people is low based on limited information currently available. I love spending quality time with animals personally. Get your nails done. I love to get my nails done. A manicure or pedicure may give you the human contact you need in a new look to beat in a new look to beat. When your local health department gives the okay, think about dressing up your hands and feet. Visit the hair salon. If you don't fancy a cut, book yourself a wash and blow dry for ultimate relaxation. By the way, I love going to the barber shops and I love getting my hair cuts. And I love having my facial hair um, clean shaven, personally. Learn to dance. I do love to dance. Most slow dances are built around skin-to-skin contact. It may not be a good choice during the pandemic, but as soon as you but as soon as you're vaccinated and your health department gives a thumbs up, think about learning some new moves. Go to a cuddle party. Yes, the, these are real and no, they're not as strange as they sound. As soon as you and your friends are vaccinated and your health department give the go-ahead for indoor gatherings, consider trying it out. I'm going to go to cuddle parties in the future. What can you do to encourage affectionate touch in your day-to-day? With lockdowns, close businesses, and medical advice to physically distance and avoid touching people not in your household, human touch has dwindled to a slow string for some and has dried up altogether. Medical, facil- medical facilities like the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the University of California, San Francisco, and the Texas Medical Center warn that touch starvation is real. It's important to find ways to keep in touch during the pandemic. Sustaining regular touch during the COVID-19 pandemic can be challenging. If you live with other people or are part of a pod, there are likely people you can touch safely. You might try the tips below. For yourself, sit close to your loved ones. Instead of spreading out on the couch, make an effort to cu- make an effort to cuddle up during your net like sprees. Great household members with a hug. If hugging people within your household or pod is safe, try this type of greeting. It may help both of you satisfy your touch hunger. Use touch when appropriate. In a romantic relationship, hold hands or cuddle. In platonic ones, reassure people they touch the arm or a pat on the back. I love touching the arm, by the way. Always make sure the touch is safe and other people are comfortable before going ahead. For your loved ones, give them plenty of positive touch. This can range from gentle strokes to full-on cuddling a few times a day. 
by the way, I love gentle strokes and full-on cuddling. Avoid and I love positive touch, stripper and all. Avoid associating touch with negativity. Don't pinch or push or do anything that takes away the feel-good vibes of physical contact. Let children be close to you as often as possible. Allowing your child to sit on your lap or gently massaging your baby are important for bonding and emotional growth of the child. If you can't touch safely, maybe you're one of the 35.7 million Americans who live alone. Or maybe you live with people who work in high-risk settings. Or perhaps touch in pandemic circumstances just isn't worth the risk to you. And these and countless other scenarios, you may not have the opportunity for touch or you may not feel safe with any human touch right now. There are still ways you can help satisfy your touch hunger without physical contact. Try the tips below. They may not be the right thing. They may not be the real thing, but they do provide human contact and interaction. Meet new people or connect with friends online. Technology provides many ways for online contact. Try video chat or virtual exercise classes or book clubs. Wave to neighbors or passerby. Most of us have a most of us take a daily walk. Try waving and maybe even meeting new people from a physical distance, of course. Host an online dinner. Invite family and friends to share a meal via a video app like Skype or FaceTime. Connect via text and email. Be sure to use lots of emojis or GIFs that emphasize physical touch like thumbs up or waving hands. Talk with neighbors outside. Chat at a safe distance through a window or from a porch or backyard. Try new outdoor group activities. Some group activities let you be with others without the risk involved in close quarters or touching. Try classes that improve physical distancing like yoga, painting, or Tai Chi. The bottom line, if you're feeling touched off, you haven't sealed your fate. There are plenty of ways to beat the condition, inspire positive, affectionate touch and love around you. By the way, I only do positive, affectionate touch in terms of giving and receiving. In terms of giving and receiving, right? Lauren Sharkey is a journalist and author specializing in women's issues. When she isn't trying to discover a way to banish migraines, she can be found uncovering the answers to your lurking health questions. She has also written a book profile of young female activists across the globe and is currently building a community touch with sisters. Catch her on Twitter, Lauren Sharkey. EY after Shark. Hands-on research to science of touch. Dacher Keltner explains how compassion is literally, is literally at our fingertips. September, two, 2000, September 29, 2010. Greater Good's latest video features our executive director, Dacher Skelton, on the science of touch. Here he elaborates on cutting-edge research into the ways everyday forms of touch can bring us emotional balance and better health. A pat on the back, which I, which I love. A caress of the arm, I love these are everyday incidental gestures that we usually take for granted thanks to our amazingly dexterous friends. Thanks to our amazingly dexterous hands. After years spent immersed in the science of touch, I can tell you that they are far more profound than we usually realize. They are our primary language of compassion and a primary means for spreading compassion. In recent years, a wave of studies has documented some incredible emotional 
physical health benefits that come from touch. This research is suggesting that touch is truly fundamental to human communication, bonding, and health. In my own lab, in a study led by my former student, Matt Harstenstein, now a professor at DePaul University, we asked whether humans can clearly communicate compassion through touch. Here's what we did. We built a barrier in our lab that separated two strangers from each other. One person struck their arm through the barrier and waited. The other person was given a list of emotions. And they had to try to convey each emotion through a second, through a one-second touch of the stranger's forearm. The person whose arms was being touched had to guess the emotion. Given the number of emotions being considered, the odds of guessing the right emotion by chance were about 8%. But remarkably, participants guessed compassion correctly nearly 60% of the time. Gratitude, anger, love, and fear, they got those right more than 50% of the time as well. We had various gender combinations in the study and felt obligated to disclose two gender differences we found. When a woman tried to communicate anger to a man who got zero right, he had no idea what she was doing. When a man tried to communicate compassion to a woman, she didn't know what was going on. Nobody in the LGBTQ plus community is being excluded and gender and sexual diversity not being excluded. I just want to clarify that. But obviously, there's a bigger message here that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Touch provides its own language of compassion and language that is essential to what it means to be human. In fact, in other research, I found that people cannot only identify love, gratitude, and compassion from touches, but can differentiate between those kinds of touches, something people haven't done as well in studies of facial and vocal communication. To touch is to give life. Regrettably, though, some Western cultures are pretty touch-deprived this is especially true, true of the United States. And ethologists who live in different parts world quickly recognize this. Non-human primates spend about 10 to 10 to 20% of their waking day grooming each other. If you go to various other countries, people spend a lot of time in direct physical contact with one another, much more than we do. This has been well documented. One of my favorite examples is a study from the 1960s by pioneering psychologist Sidney Joran. Joran. We studied conversation with friends in different parts of the world as they sat in a cafe together. We observed those conversations for the same amount of time in each of the different countries. What did we find? In England, the two friends touched each other zero times. In the United States, in bursts of enthusiasm, we touched each other twice. But in France, the number shot up to 110 times per hour. And in Puerto Rico, those friends touched each other 180 times. Of course, there are plenty of good reasons why people are inclined to keep their hands to themselves, especially in a society as litigious as ours, but other research has revealed what we lose when we hold back too much. The benefits start from the moment we're born. A review of research conducted by Tiffany Field, a leader in the field of touch, found that preterm newborns who received just three 15-minute sessions of touch therapy each day for 5 to 10 days gained 47% more weight than premature infants who received standard medical treatment. Similarly, research by Darlene Francis and Michael Mine has found that rats whose mothers licked and groomed them a lot when they were infants grow up to be calmer, more resilient to stress with, with, with a stronger immune system. I liked being licked and groomed 
This research sheds light on why historically an overwhelming percentage of American of human babies in orphanages where caretakers starving of touch have failed to grow up to the expected height or weight and have shown behavioral problems. To touch is to give life, said Michelangelo, and he's absolutely right. From this frontier of touch research, we know, thanks to neuroscientist Edmund Rose, that touch activates the brain's orbitofrontal cortex, which is linked to feelings of reward and compassion. We also know that touch builds up cooperative relationships. It reinforces reciprocity between our primate relatives who use grooming to build up cooperative alliances. There are studies showing that touch signals safety and trust in seeds. Basic warm touch calms cardiovascular stress that activates the body's vagus nerve, which is intimately involved with our compassionate response and a simple touch can trigger release of oxytocin, also known as, again, the love hormone. In a study by Jim Coyon and Richard Davidson, participants laying an fMRI brain scanner Anticipating a painful blast of white noise showed heightened brain activity and breach associated with threat and stress. But participants whose romantic partner stroked their arm or they waited didn't show this reaction at all. Touch had turned off the threat switch. Touch can even have economic effects promoting trust and generosity. And psychologist Robert Kurzban had participated had participants play the quote-unquote prisoner's dilemma game in which they could choose either to cooperate or compete with a partner for a limited amount of money. An experimenter gently touched some of the participants as they were starting to play the game. Just a quick pat, just a quick pat on, a quick pat on the back, but it made a big difference. Those who were touched were much more likely to cooperate and share with their partner. These kinds of benefits can pop up in unexpected places. In a recent study, out of my lab, publishing the journal Emotion, found that in several NBA basketball teams, his players touch each other more in more games. Touch therapies. Given all these findings, it only makes sense to think of ways to incorporate touch into a different form of therapy. Touch therapy or massage therapy in quotations may sound like some weird Berkeley idea, but it's got but it's got hard science on its side. Not just good for our muscles, it's good for our entire physical. Proper uses of touch truly have the potential to transform the practice of medicine and they're cost effective to boot. For example, studies shown that touching patients with Alzheimer's disease can have huge effects on getting them to relax, make emotional connections with others, and reduce their symptoms of depression. Tiffany Field has found that massage therapy reduces pain in pregnant women and alleviates prenatal depression in the women and their spouses alike. Research here at UC Berkeley School of Public Health has found that getting eye contact and a pat on the back from a doctor may boost survival rates of patients with complex diseases. And educators take note. A study by French psychologist Nicholas Gouigan has found that when teachers pat students in a friendly way, those students are three times as likely to speak up in class. Another recent study has found that when librarians pat the hand of a student checking out a book, that 
student says they like the library more and is more likely to come back. Touch can even be a therapeutic way to reach some of the most challenging children. If that's the language they use personally, I do not find any examples the writer used to be right, they're all wrong. Some research by Tiffany Fields suggests that children with autism widely believe to hate being touched actually love being massaged by parent and therapist. I don't mind being why I don't mind being widely touched. I love being touched. Again. I appreciate being in touch. This doesn't mean you should turn around, grope your neighbor, or invade the personal space of everyone around you. But to me, the science of touch convincingly suggests that we're wired to need to connect with other people on a basic physical level. To deny that is to deprive ourselves of some of life's greatest joys and deepest comforts. Dr. Keltner, UC Berkeley, about the author. He is the founding director of the Greater Good Science Center and professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. He's the author of The Power Paradox, How We Gain and Lose Influence in Born to Be Good, and then a co-editor of The Compassionate Instinct. Um, I just decided that I'm going to Turn these in, and I'm going to make it completely relatable. Thank you again. Okay, great. You're on air, Epiphany. Oh, I didn't know if you wanted to like introduce me <laughs> before <laughs> I introduced myself, if you wanted to introduce your podcast or. Oh, okay, I'll do that. Uh, hello everyone, my name is Antonio Myers. I'm the host of Antonio's Time Daily. I have a special guest, her name is Epiphany Jordan. Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. So I'll have you introduce yourself. That sounds good. So um, as you said, Tonio, my name is Epiphany Jordan and I live in Austin, Texas. And I am on a mission to redesign human touch. I feel like our current paradigm of for adults where um, you only touch people that you're romantically or sexually involved with um, is uh, something that's not working for most of us. It doesn't work for single people and it definitely doesn't work for a lot of um, coupled people as well. And obviously as we're coming out of the pandemic, uh, one of the things that was kind of off limits or that was very dangerous over the past year was touch getting too close to people. I mean, it, it, it wasn't touch so much as breathing, 
uh, breathing in the same air as somebody being very close to them in close proximity for a long period of time. So I feel like a lot of us had an opportunity to realize how important human touch was and how much we missed it when we were gone. And it seems like we have a great opportunity here to, uh, as we open back up to really kind of thoughtfully consider what human touch means to us, who we touch, why we touch other people, um, and to, to really think about doing it differently, you know, to think about, hey, is the way that we've done this before, is this really working for me? And if not, try something different. So that's kind of what I'm all about. I'm glad you mentioned human touch um, because as a uh, victim of trauma, I had to redefine human touch boundaries uh, for myself. And I have the appropriate human touch boundaries with counseling with uh, psychiatric support I had and just researching, educating myself using credible websites, credible worksheets, as well as um, credible examples. I, I was in life skills groups too, so I had to um, alter um, the violating kind to the self-affirming kind. So I, I'm glad you were touching on the subject. No pun intended, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it sounds like you had you had an experience with uh, with um, having touch that was non-consensual or that violated you in some way and it caused you to reevaluate. Is that what you were saying? Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if this is something that you've talked about on past podcasts that your listeners know about, but I don't know what happened. If you, I, I would love to hear more. I, I, I'm recovering from um, uh, childhood rape trauma syndrome. That is intense. <laughs> that is really intense. And so did you did you go through a period of time then where you were just suspect of anybody who wanted to touch you at any time, regardless of what their intention might be, and you just kind of stopped touching everybody or letting them touch you altogether or how did you how did that how did that sometimes I was receptive to human touch other times I wasn't mm -hmm. it was an on and off thing for the most part if somebody acted nice and I didn't get a sense that they were um, that they were evil or just toxic, then I was okay with it. And other times, even if they were pleasant people, that fear of touch pain, it wasn't, um, so, I wasn't so 
uh, rejecting of it, but I had my moments. I was on and off, but I became more receptive to touch over time. But I had my moments where I said, where I just didn't want it. I was more nonverbal about not wanting to be touched, like being pulling away, right to the side. I because I did not know how to verbalize fear, verbalize concern, or verbalize worry, verbalize any of my authentic emotions. And yeah. I was afraid of what if I make them feel the way the perpetrators made me feel. But that's what really made it hard for me to verbalize what was planted in my head. Right. So you didn't, you, you struggled with the idea of that saying no to somebody that's setting a boundary with them would be harmful for them, right? Is what I'm hearing you say. Yes, and I was afraid of it possibly harming me. Just any possible harm at that time I, was a source of fright for me. Mm. That sounds that sounds really hard, and uh, I, I think I think there's probably a lot of people who can relate. Um, you know, it's like th this kind of stuff happens all the time. We don't talk about it, but it happens. It happens way more frequently than it should. That's for sure. And so, did you hit a point where you started? wanting more touch or you started asking for it did you did you figure out a way to get the touch that you wanted or needed or are you still kind of muddling through that i figured out the touch i wanted and needed and what did that look like it looks like i don't feel fight or flight if i don't feel that and I have taken my time with the person and her people, then I'm okay with that kind of touch. As long as I am step by step with people and I don't have that sense of something is going awry with the person or people, I'm fine. Now, if I feel a sense of trepidation, or something off-putting about the person, I don't let them touch me. I, I am I'm a person who honors the true vibes that I receive. And it has no paranoia because I've got so much help that I know the difference between um, discernment and paranoia because they are conflated and confused in my youth. I know how to separate the two healthy compartmentalizing, if you will. Wow, that's fantastic. So it sounds like a big part of your healing journey or your recovery was learning how to listen to your body and um, really pay attention to the signals it was giving you because I think so so many of us spend so much time in our heads right that it's hard for us to 
to really feel into what does this feel like you know how how does how does this person make me feel right and it's more it was much more of an uphill battle because autism and sensory mm -hmm. yes yeah absolutely well this is uh wow I mean, you're, you're teaching me a lot right now. I, I love it. Thank you. This is, a, this is a really great conversation to be having. Thank you, Epiphany. And, um, you know, do you want to ask me any more questions about that experience and my beliefs? I actually, I'm curious. So what kind of touch is it that you that you like do you do people hug you or um is it is it something different or shaking hands or i, I I'm, I'm just curious what kind of touch you like what, what you found over the years um i i always when i first get to know a person it starts with a handshake because and we're in COVID right now. I do elbow or fist bumps. Uh-huh, yeah. Or I do air fives, right? And um, when I'm close to the person I hug, uh-huh. as a child, I didn't have all the consciousness that I have now in terms of it. I noticed that I was always sensitive to touch. So it was hard because I grew up in a um, kind of upbringing where older people, they all wanted hugs. Mm -hmm. And I would do it, but I was always questioning back then in my heart, whenever out loud, is this appropriate? Um, could I be having a hard time with this sense of but should I treat you as a as a close relationship person even though that's not what we have could uh -huh. the lines be blurred so I had those subconscious questions even back then and so as I became more aware of touch like good touch bad touch I learned that in uh, elementary school I would be hesitant or reluctant to hug a person. Some people get offended. But I explained to them, oh, this is what I'm learning in school. And they understood. But they're like, well, you can always hug me. But as the, by the time I got to college, I was already more into, hmm. I started learning my relationship dynamics because I was in counseling at school. And I learned that it that it's better to ask a person to assume. And then when the Me Too movement began, I remember, especially with women, and just people in general, but especially with women, I would um, gauge their signals. I really wasn't assuming if they wanted hugs because 
I wasn't scared. I was just very cautious, very receptive, and properly have proper analysis of how of watching them greet people. That helped me out. How do they? Okay, they're really cool. They'll hug that person. But then I see them with a colleague is a little more of a hench and a little more serious. So when it came to me, they were very huggy. That's because I watched them with others in advance and learned what to do. Uh-huh. So that was my metamorphosis, if you will. Yeah. Do you do you think that getting more touch in your life that you wanted has that improved your life your quality of life has that made things better for you yes because it's healthy human touch on my terms and it's not unhealthy human touch on perpetrating terms yeah yeah i mean there's there's so there's so much power in that that uh being in that space of yes i want this you know it's like if you know if it's if it's wanted touch then it can be a really lovely and transformational thing and when it's unwanted touch as you well know it can be something that's that can be very damaging that can really screw a person up that's true yeah how have you um how have you dealt with the the pandemic of not being able to touch people i know you said that you did like fist bumps and um and elbow bumps and stuff was it did you did you struggle with oh i can't go and hug my friends or what have you at first i did and what took my mind off of it for a lot of for most part i started my podcast during, well the podcast i like to say mine because my listeners can't often. i started the podcast during when COVID was way worse around August 25th, 2020, the podcast was born. And January, when, when COVID was worse than now, um, I started my book series. And I've also been on the Clubhouse app. I started doing that in April. So I've, had, I've created platforms for myself that has really been my therapeutic outlet for the pandemic. And I am fully vaccinated. I got the two Moderna shots. It was worth the fatigue, the chills, the hunger, appetite being increased and drinking more healthy fluids and moving around, taking walks. So. What I did for the pandemic was, yeah, I was upset that I couldn't touch the way I normally would, which was non-problematic, but also it it made me more, made my creative juices stronger in other ways too. Mm-hmm. That's great. So it sounds like one of the primary things that you do with touch or that you use touch for is for connection and you found other ways to connect with people i mean i i feel like a lot of us did um but it's good that you were that you were able to pivot and find 
ways to to satisfy that need for being close to other people for intimacy. So that's fantastic. Yes, and during the pandemic, I must admit, I was able to um, embrace all of my real beliefs independent of trauma. I was able to embrace my eroticism and mm. sensuality and my sexual beingness 100% too. Oh, I love that. That's that's fantastic. That's so, I, I mean, it sounds like uh, the pandemic has really been a, a time for you to heal and grow and, um, you know, maybe go go deeper within yourself because you didn't have as much outs, external stimulation as would that be correct you know that you could be yeah. more focused on um, who you were and how you were feeling uh, independent of having to interact with other people right and I got to be okay with being my full and truthful self Instead of years of unintentional impersonating and unintentional impressing. Nice. That sounds really lovely. Wow. I, I, I hope that other people have kind of come out of the pandemic in that space. I mean, I know that I made a lot of changes in my life over the past year for sure. So um, it's good. It's good to hear other people that I, I mean, a lot of it was hard for so many of us, but, uh, and obviously it was a lot harder for a lot of people than other people, but um, I'm, it's, it's nice to hear people who are like, yeah, I, you know, I quit drinking or I started exercising or I took up this hobby or, you know, I started going to school again or you know all, all kinds of different things and uh yeah i'm i'm curious to see what happens as we open up more for sure for sure and i'm really honored that um we're talking about human touch because now i had more time to think about the concept as well right do you have any questions for me? Um, I'll get to it. I just want to finish this point. Like, I'm really, I had more time to fully understand where I stand on human touch for myself, mm -hmm. including uh, sexual as well. I had lots of time to reflect on that. Nice. What conclusions did you come to? Well, my conclusions are that I enjoy ethical non-monogamy. Uh-huh. I, I prioritize human personality more than, more than human looks, even though Human looks do turn me on, and biologically so. Um, I am a practitioner of secular sexuality. Um, and 
I, I, I consider myself the jack of all trades when it comes to sex. <laughs> no pun intended again, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, my questions for you would be, um, I, your favorite element is water for what I'm reading. Yes, I love it. I, you can't get me out of the swimming pool or the hot tub or the bathtub or the lake or the ocean or the river. Yeah, I just, I love to swim. Is, is water a cleansing power that elevates human touch for you? You mean do I do I like uh, combining the two? Yes, absolutely. I I loved uh, uh, with my with my ex. We used to take baths together all the time, and that was really nice. Or you know, kind of sitting sitting together in a hot tub, or you know, going swimming, or yeah, all those things. It's it's really lovely. And I'm reading that. You're a, that you have a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism in your grammar key. Yes, I am. Although I, I, I don't always get it right. I, I do my best though. And what made you a appreciator of verbiage? Uh, I mean, I grew up with both my parents were college professors. And so I, I grew up with tons of books in the house and I was a very voracious reader when I was a child. The library was probably my favorite place. I actually, uh, when, I, when I go home, I try to go to, when I go back to my hometown, I try to go to the library because it's, it's just beautiful. It's a, and it was, it was definitely my happy place when I was a child. And uh, I just, I, I think words are fun. You can play with them and um, arrange them differently. And just, you know, you can, you can do so much with them. They, they're so impactful. Oh. So you like the art of communication in a way that is of, of, of upliftment and you also see touch as a upliftment communication as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a huge form of nonverbal communication. And I, I think the thing that I like about it the most is that it helps people connect and it helps people feel like they belong. And it doesn't, it doesn't take much of it. And, and actually, I think, you know, when, like if, for instance, like if you uh, had a friend who had had a relative die and they were really sad you know it's like you can sit there and you can talk to them and tell them how sorry you are but you know wrapping them up in a good hug a good long hug conveys so much more than words really can yes because i've learned in ancient jewish tradition where you don't speak until the morning speaks 
may not touch the person unless they, unless the grieving one um, wants you to do that in ways that are respectful to the griever and the grieving process that you're in. Right. And human touch is really the most pivotal one of individual. It's very individual. Yeah, and it it means something different to all of us. You know, it's like you, you just and 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 I think it actually the the possibility of touching somebody. I mean, obviously, if it's somebody that you've been friends with for a long time and you always hug hello and goodbye when you see them, it's one thing. But you know, when you're first meeting somebody and first getting to know them, it's a it's a point of connection and conversation and an opportunity to find out you know, what is this person like? And what is this person like? And, you know, can you come to a place of agreement where everybody's happy? You know, it's like, we don't get a lot of opportunities to do that. I mean, there's a lot of parts of our lives that we go through where nobody asks us what we want or need, you know, we're just kind of expected to go along with whatever is there. And I really enjoy that you're all yet you're just a versatility minded person. So you know what it's like to serve people alcohol to bartenders. You know what it's like to help people with a large legal assistant. And you love to give uh, sound insights with your advice columnist. And you are a cigarette girl <laughs> yeah i've done a lot of different stuff over the years for sure and i'm seeing that you run your own sister business yeah i i had to mostly close it down during the pandemic that's been uh, i closed my, both of my businesses during the pandemic my hands-on touch business didn't survive as well so I mean I still do I still do a little bit of tarot reading for people online but you know I don't I don't have my my workspace anymore now I hope this is not an intrusive question what is human touch like for you specifically what's it like for me specifically yeah you're human touch boundaries that you have for yourself oh um well you know the the i think one of the things that people really struggle with with just understanding boundaries is that they're not the same for everybody you know if uh my boundaries are going to be different with people that I've known for a long time than say if I was on a date with somebody for the first time and they'll be different if I'm in a business meeting actually that's not necessarily true because you know if I'm if I'm in a business meeting and somebody knows that I'm working with or around human touch you know they're probably not going to think that it's too weird for me to say hey would you like a hug um and generally, I, I tend to be a pretty open person about it. I mean, I, I hug a lot of people 
um, when I, when I, you know, kind of when I'm out, of, out and about, I probably hug more strangers than most people do. Um, and then, you know, I have, I probably have three or four friends that, um, but people that I've known for quite a while or people I've just known for a few years where we get together and, you know, maybe we hang out and watch a movie and snuggle and, um, you know, it's just really, really sweet and it's not sexual, it's not romantic, we're just, you know, hanging out and being friends and touching each other, which is, I know, something that a lot of people don't really do with their friends past just hugging somebody hello or goodbye when you see them. And um, I only have a couple more questions, and I just want to please flow the rest of the time. Um, so you say your mantra is evolution, not revolution. Correct. Social artist. Correct. What? Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, how did you come to that uh, compelling, profound point? So uh, the evolution, not revolution thing for me is about um, you know, having having read books about revolutions or meeting people who'd lived through them, uh, that it's it's really not that much fun. You know, everybody's like, yeah, we're going to like destroy the system and, you know, burn it all to the ground. And it's like, uh, you know, I don't know if that's really a good way to, to do things. You know, it still becomes a, a power struggle. And, you know, I would like to see us as a species, as humanity to kind of think about, okay, this is how we want to live and this is where we want to go. And to, to deliberately and consciously move toward that, because I think a lot of times people will uh, you know, on, on a on an individual level and also on a social level, it's like we just kind of we all just kind of follow the path of least resistance. And then we end up in a place where we're like, oh, this isn't where I wanted to be. This isn't where I wanted to end up. And, you know, that's kind of and, and maybe evolution does work that way where it just kind of happens. But I feel like with human beings having consciousness that we have opportunities to really be be more deliberate in where we want to go and what we want to live and what values we want to have and how we want to operate as a society as opposed to destroying everything and then ha rebuilding from the rubble and you know having it be really ugly and and painful for a lot of people i mean during revolutions, a lot of people get hurt, you know, and especially women and children, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of suffering and starvation. And I just, I think there's a better way than that. And let's see, as far as being a social artist goes, uh, that just means uh, that I like to see creativity as a lateral skill and that it's something that can be applied to systems or concepts or ideas or you know areas of of life as opposed to using creativity to do a painting or write a book or 
you know, play music or what have you. I think all those things are really wonderful and lovely. Um, and there, there are aspects of those things that I do on, on my own just for fun, just to kind of play around. But as far as being an artist, I like to use creativity to try and change the world. Well, and lastly, you have a book that was published two years ago. Correct. And um, when did you start being interested in human physicality? I became interested in it, or I started working with it back in 2013, I think it was. I... Um, I had gone to a festival several years before um, with a sacred sexuality teacher that I was working with and one of her offerings, we, we were at this festival and we were doing a bunch of different workshops and um, things around uh, sexuality and one of the things that she had was uh, a practice she called Karuna sessions and um, I was just, I was really, really struck by the profound effect it was having on people so and I had been thinking about it for years and I finally started playing around with it with a friend and the people that we were doing it with were like wow this is this is really amazing this feels really good and so we turned it into a business and then uh, you know so I had been kind of studying human touch and looking at it from a lot of different angles for several years and then in 2017, I started working on the book and ended up uh, publishing a book. I can I can tell you a little bit about it because your, your listeners are probably like, what the heck are they talking about? So the book is called Somebody Hold Me, The Single Person's Guide to Nurturing Human Touch. And basically it teaches people who are not in romantic relationships how to get their touch needs met through their friends, because I feel like that's a really underutilized resource for a lot of us. Uh, a lot of us are um, touch deprived, touch starved, touch hungry, and especially now after the pandemic. And, you know, at the same time, about half of Americans are single. And so, you know, if because we have this paradigm of the touch equals sex, if you're if you're single and then you just you, you don't really have an opportunity to get any touch outside of you know maybe a hug hello or goodbye for you know if you do have friends and so i'm trying to challenge people to be more deliberate and conscious about how when and where they share touch with their friends and to do it in a very structured fashion so that it's clearly not something that's about sex it's where it's a a, a a social experience as opposed to a sexual experience i'm so i'm trying to take touch out of the realm of sex and make it into something social so it feels more like you know just kind of hanging out with your friends as a kid and you know goofing off and giggling and rolling around on the floor and you know it's it's good it's a lot more fun and playful and you know because sex can get real serious at times that is quite true and um 
the specific touches that I'm into, I like holding hands. Uh-huh. I like cuddling. Uh-huh. I like giving and receiving massages. Uh-huh. I like hugging. Uh-huh. I do love kissing, especially French kissing. Woo! Yeah, it's good stuff, huh? Yes. And of course, I enjoy sexual intercourse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, sex, touch is a part of sex, but sex doesn't need to be a part of touch. And it sounds like you have you have a much uh, greater understanding and a wider touch vocabulary, I would say, than a lot of people I talk to. So it sounds like you've already done some work around this idea of, oh, maybe, maybe we can separate these things a little bit. Right, because... Um... I had to study these things to um, decipher what my innate style of touch are uh -huh. and not being dictated to me. So I appreciate your compliment. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of times when I do podcasts, people are like, hmm, this is something I've never thought about. And it's something that you've clearly thought about a lot and have really figured out what kind of the best the best uh, methods are for yourself and what you like and what you don't like and um, yeah it's like you've, you've put a lot more thought into it than most people I come across so kudos to you thank you um, I got wow I, I shared my epiphany with epiphany <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I do like bed sharing. Um, yeah, sleeping with another person. I actually, I hate to sleep in another bed with a person. I, I'm a very light sleeper. I mean, like, I like half the time, I, I don't even want my animals sleeping in bed with me because they wake me up. So. Um, I mean, I like to I like to cuddle in bed, but you know, when it's the end of the night, it's like, okay, I'm going home, or you should go home, or um, you know, because I don't I don't like to sleep with somebody physically sleep with someone. <laughs> I also enjoy being inside uh, someone's personal space, caressing. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just always been fun for me because it shows a um, remarkable intimacy that is that is a, a reciprocity. Yes. Yeah, it's like the level of tenderness and kindness and and caregiving. You know, it's one of the easiest ways that I know of to to take care of another person. You know, it's like, here, sit down and let me rub your feet or, you know, let me brush your hair or something like that. You know, it's just, it's it's so simple and, and people just love it. And there's more that I appreciate, kissing on the cheeks, touching heads, mm. embracing. Yeah. Mm -hmm eye contact maintenance yeah 
You've, you've got lots of good stuff in your toolkit there, my friend. Thank you. And I like being, I like having a snuggle buddy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, love, I, I love my snuggle buddies. Yeah, they're, it's, it's sweet. And I mean, it's sad that a lot of people don't have that, right? Right. Right. Because um, now we can just breathe for the rest of the time. I was thinking about how you wanted to ask me about my beliefs. Yeah, I mean, you've, I think you've done a pretty good job of, of outlining, you know, how, how it is that you assess situations and assess people and, uh, you know, deciding when, it's, when it feels safe for you and when it doesn't. Yes, because I um, well, I appreciate that. I think of when it comes to touch, I don't mind sensual slow touch. You feel the fleshly vibration. It's like taking a shower, even though you're not showering. That kind of touch, you bathe yourself. Uh huh. That, that kind of touch is a turn on to me. Nice. I don't mind poking, prodding from someone I'm really attracted to. Um, I, I don't mind the, the gentle strokes, if you will. I also don't mind when things get hot and heavy, like the crabby, feely, touchy, um, grasping thing. That does, that fucking does something to me. That's good to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's nice. Huh? When when it, when the feeling's mutual, it's really nice to be able to get into that space, huh? Right. And and then when tongues touch and comes to kiss it, woo! Ah, <laughs> fucking excellent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I also like for myself when it comes to touch, to know that I feel desired, not just by me, but by the other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the one of the most powerful aspects of human touches that it makes it makes people feel like they belong like they're like they're seen like they're important like they matter this is true this is very true i i um so what is how do you define sacred sexuality in general because i might be doing that would you explain um, well, I, the, the practice that I was working with is uh, very different uh, from Tantra. I've never, I've never studied Tantra. It's not really been interesting to me. Uh, the one that I worked on was more uh, a Middle Eastern philosophy from, you know, 5,700. 7,000 years ago, the temple priestesses in Babylon and Sumer Sumeria. And 
uh, that entailed embodying the goddess so that the person that you were with would have this experience of um, making love to the goddess, you know, through a human form. Wow. And, yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty powerful. Wow. Because I basically have taken sexuality personally. Uh huh. And I I think that definition of sacred sexuality, that's what I do too. Because I I think um, anything to do with a person is important. So, yeah, that is just both of me. Wow, you helped me to learn something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been, I was, uh, when when I had my temple space open, I did a little bit more work around sexuality, but that's not really part of my work these days. Um, I'm more interested in human touch as a health and wellness practice. And I, I'm, I'm interested in us, uh, shifting our our vision of it and you know this idea of rebranding human touch as something that's good for your physical health and mental health and emotional health um, as opposed to something that's just connected to sex or romance because mm. I like how you also were able to talk about non-physical touch I mean Touch, I mean to say touch in non-romantic sexual ways, because uh, a lot of people think intimacy is just sex and that's it. No, there's emotional intimacy. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like you touch the person's mind, even though you physically didn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, intellect, uh, intellectual stimulation or emotional stimulation, you touch their heart. Oh, mm-hmm. that really touched me, but you yeah. bodily touch them. Mm-hmm. There's different types of touch. There's touch of the soul and touch of the flesh. Yeah. I uh, I just finished reading a, an interesting book about that. Um, uh, the, the guy who wrote it was a philosopher and he was writing about human touch and he's talking about how um, he's talking about excarnation as opposed to incarnation. Excarnation is like being detached from our bodies and, um, you know, just communicating online with people and having a sexual experience that's more about the visual, you know, what a person, you know, looking at a person or seeing a person or, you know, observe watching sex through a screen or what have you as opposed to you know being physically close to somebody and touching them and or just even being in our bodies ourselves and and you know interacting with people on a physical level so but yeah there's there's definitely i mean when we we definitely talk about uh you know a lot of other things that you were that you were mentioning as something that's touching so you know it's a it's a it's a metaphorical thing but you know it does it does imply that it impacts people yes and this i was thinking in my head it's even genital touching too mm-hmm. yeah which is yeah. fun for me but go ahead <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you know, pleasure is is generally a good thing. And I've yeah. learned that there are times for healthy hedonism. And when we are hedonists, we always think so it's it's out it's always out to be like self-destructive mm-hmm. or anti-pleasure, but there there's room for hedonism in the proper context. There's yeah. Where you need physical pleasure. Sometimes lots of it, other times not lots of it. But hey, it's okay to be a healthy hedonist. You can do that and still honor thyself and honor the many others too. Agreed. Yeah, I actually, uh, I have, I have a lot of very hedonistic, decadent friends. We're a little bit less so as we've gotten older, but you know, we still manage to have a lot of fun it's it is good you know there's i think any anything you know there's so much of life that's 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 painful or drudgery or you know serious or repetitive or what have you that uh pleasure is a really good way to orient oneself that's awesome and i wanted to um really say that um what are your spiritual beliefs now? Your religious spiritual beliefs. What are my spiritual beliefs? Yeah. Mm, good question. I mean, I think it's pretty individualistic. I come from a family with really disparate re- religious backgrounds, and I wasn't rela- raised in any religion. My my parents thought that it was more important to raise me to be a good person um than to be uh you know specifically uh adhere to one religion and um i have a very personal um individual relationship with god i believe in spiritual autonomy that each of us has a relationship with god that's uh very individualistic and uh or not individualistic but um that's it's it's something that's resonant between you and the divine i believe in connection and kindness and that you know when you when you do good things that it comes back to you and that you know it's always good to err on the side of taking care of people and you know being being kind and empathetic and um, I believe that most of our experiences and people we meet and and ourselves are just reflections of the of you know this this greater being or power. Um, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily anthropomorphize it, but oh, like humanize like into male female yeah mm -mm. i don't i don't you know i I think it's i think it's way vaster than that you know it's it's something that's that's so big that we can't even and and so powerful and that we can't even really conceive of it um and i think that it's just mostly just the force of love in the universe and that um our egos kind of keep us separate from from being that part of the whole 
mm-hmm. and you know manifesting ourselves in whatever is our kind of individual flavor or vibe or what have you you know it's like we 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 think that we're alone and disconnected and unworthy and so forth and we we kind of talk ourselves out of it by focusing on the past or the future as opposed to being in the present which is where we can be the most powerful wow wow um i'm very impressed by your holistic spirituality because i possess the same thing um any last questions you have for me before we conclude no no this uh this conversation was is completely different than any podcast i've ever done and it was really cool to talk about some of this stuff so thank you i've really i've really enjoyed um having the time to connect with you today uh thank you and i have two questions did you feel safe did you feel safe respected and comfortable throughout this whole interview do I feel safe and comfortable with what? With the with the whole interview, did you feel safe, comfortable, and respected throughout our time talking? Absolutely, yeah. Me too. And um, um, are you open to staying in touch or? Of course, yeah, definitely. Let's please do. Uh, we'll do, and um, okay, I actually got this third one, because number two <laughs> paid another question. <laughs> Okie doke, hit me. Uh, me with it. I see you as a true friend. Do you agree with that assessment? That you and I are true friends now? Or just am I a true friend to people? Uh, DC has a friend because I since we're talking about boundaries, I do this with my guests. Yeah, I I I would say yes. Um I don't I don't know. I mean, we we're probably not gonna be like friends where you come over to my house every other weekend for dinner because I don't think we live in the same city, but yeah, I uh I would yeah, I mean I think our our the depth of our conversation has been the sort of thing that you know the sort of conversation that i like to have with people that i call my friends for sure wow um because i live in dc and you live in texas right i do i live in texas and you live in austin though right i do i do oh yeah i i like austin from what i hear because it's liberal and that's I'm a liberal-minded person. <laughs> it's pretty liberal here. I mean, it's it's a lot of things. It's a it's an interesting place. That's for damn sure. <laughs> well, I this doesn't have to be the last time you're on here. And thank you for um, participating. And we'll talk again. However, we do that. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, Tonio, you have a fantastic day. You too. Take care.